Thank you for tuning into this podcast. This live presentation of the Word of Yah was presented by Senior Pastor Omar Tebow of Philadelphia Christian Church in South Louisiana. Visit our website, philadelphiacc.org, to learn all about us. Our hope is that this message would leave you changed and made better all because of it. Shalom. So this morning, we're going to talk about the development of long-suffering. All right, the development of long suffering. And what I need you to understand is that the Holy Ghost wants to produce long suffering in us. He wants us to be patient. He wants us to bear with one another. And the reason is, is because God, he, he, he bore with us, all right? Now here's the deal. Whenever you're in a situation and you don't show long suffering, the Holy Ghost is activated, all right? And he begins to think about how can I make them more patient? How can I help them control their temper? That's the developmental phase of the Holy Spirit. He's going to lead us into all truth, but also into all righteousness. So we have the Holy Spirit on board inside of us, and his goal is to sanctify us, all right? To clean us up, to make us more Christ-like, okay? So when he sees us in a situation and we blow up and we get too mad and we have that heat on our chest. You ever felt that heat on your chest? When you, somebody burn you up, it's a literal heat that, that comes up. Some of us of a brighter complexion even turn red. Anybody up here? Huh? And you, 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 you can know it's bad when our darker brothers turn red. Anybody hear me up in here? All right? But that's that heat of anger. All right? And it's a real thing. It's a passion. All right? But when the Holy Ghost detects that passion, which is opposite of what he wants us to operate in, an alarm goes off. And the Holy Ghost says, we need some more development in this area. All right? And I'm going to give you three ways, and this is not exhaustive, but this is true, it's real. Three ways in which the Holy Spirit gets to work in your life to develop long-suffering in you. Number one, he will put us near people who test our long-suffering. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like a muscle. If you don't exercise, the muscle will never grow. So your long-suffering has to be what? Exercise. Come on, Delroy. Tell them about that exercise we've been going through. Huh? We got, you got to exercise, baby. You see what I'm saying? And so the Holy Ghost is going to put you near people to exercise your long-suffering, too, which we'll discuss this morning. He will convict you of your short temper, all right? He's going to put you near people that's going to exercise, and then when you blow up, something's going to fall upon you. Conviction. And then lastly, we're going to discuss that developmental process. He will remind us how God long-suffered with us, all right? All right? And so that's the work of the Holy Ghost. This is not an exhaustive list, but it's something that we can get through in the time that's allotted. And it's going to help us, hey God, as we walk through life, to be able to identify, Holy Ghost, what you up to? What you have going on? What am I doing wrong? And how can I get out of this test that I'm in? Come on, give y'all some glory up in here. Hallelujah. Let's begin. Hallelujah. The Holy Ghost will put us near people who test our long-suffering. Remember, believer, there are certain people who can push your buttons. All right? 
They've been gifted by God with a gift. All right? And all of us have people who can push our buttons. For the most part, regular society, hey, God, can't touch us. We like MC Hammer. You can't touch this. Oh, 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 oh. And we go through life doing the Chinese typewriter, not mad at anybody. But when we come across the anointed ones, the ones with that certain gift, the certain way they talk, the certain way they look at us, the certain way they walk around, huh? It's just the way they do what they do get under our skin. And sometimes we can't even bear to look at a picture of them smiling. They just get under our skin, just the look of them. And sometimes we see them, we talk under our breath, gritting our teeth, I can't stand it. And they are the anointed ones. Anointed to test our long suffering. You see what I'm saying? And growing up, these people will be in your family for some of y'all. You grow up with them. Oh, yeah. Sleep in the same bed with them. You wake up and there they are. Oh, God have mercy. <laughs> so what I'm saying, they'll be your sister or your brother. And they know how to push your buttons. Nobody else could make you mad, but Lord, when you're in their presence, fights just spontaneously happen. Whether verbal or physical, it won't be over till y'all rolling on the ground, pulling each other hair. How many people got an amen and can testify that sometimes your family can push your buttons? Huh? If it's not a sister or brother, maybe, hey God, it's an aunt or an uncle, a cousin that you can't stand. So many cousins I fought with. So many of them. They be from out of town. I wouldn't see them but once a year, but you can guarantee that one time I saw them. It was on, baby. Just some people are anointed to push your buttons. Sometimes even it'll be your parent. And that's a tough thing. When the person you come out of is anointed to work on your nerves. Yeah, it's your own mama. Could be your own daddy. Now some of y'all being quiet in here because you don't want to give off any vibes. Your mama might be in here with you. Just look straight, all right? Don't worry about a thing. But the truth of the matter is, is that sometimes our parents know how to push our buttons and work on our long suffering. And I want to tell you, nothing is by coincidence. Nothing is by happenstance. You think that you being born to a mama or born to a daddy is something that happened by accident? We don't believe in evolution. We believe in creation. Hey, we don't believe in chance. We believe in providence and sovereignty. And it's the sovereign hand of God that has you in the family that you are in. And we need to stop looking at it as a curse, but as a blessing to exercise our long suffering. Oh, y'all ain't ready up in here. Oh, yeah, we're going to get to it. We're going to get to it because there's a place in long suffering that God needs you to be to fulfill a purpose that he has for you. And the only way he can get you to that place is to put you around certain people. And those certain people may be in your family. 
It's just like exercise. However you want your body, there's an exercise that'll get it for you. Wherever you want muscle at, wherever you want to be toned at, hey God, there's a, there's a science to exercise. Whatever you want your body to be, you can make it by the grace of God. If you'll just study a little bit. And in your life, God has a place he wants you to be in long-suffering, in patience. And just like specific exercises can tone you in certain areas, there are specific people that can tone your long-suffering in certain areas. Anybody hear me up in here? Oh, yeah. You're going to wake up and God say, you need the bench press today. You need the dumbbells today. You need the burpees today. You need the six inches today. You see? And how many people know exercise is not fun? But we love the results. Anybody hear me up in here? Oh, y'all, come on now. I'm speaking in parables so that you can understand where I'm going. Somebody say, Lord, Lord exercise, exercise my long suffering. It's not going to happen without it. You see? But not only in our families, but going to school, we had people that push our buttons. N.P. Moss was a school full of aggravators and instigators, provocators. I'm not lying, huh, John? It was on up in there. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? And some people go to school, it might be your classmate or your teacher, people that just get under your skin. It's to exercise your long suffering. Or maybe if you're older, it's at work. How many people don't work with people that just get under your skin? Huh? And the world needs long suffering because you know what's happening? People going to work and shooting each other. Instead of letting God exercise their patience. Anybody hear me up in here? That long suffering is something that we need. And as believers, we need to operate in it. We can't act like the world at work when people get under our skin. You see? But there's some people that you work with that do it to you, huh? And God forbid they be a boss. Whew, that's hard. You could deal with an aggravating coworker, but when you gotta listen to the person that's aggravating, they're not only gonna aggravate you, but then tell you what to do after they aggravate you. That is aggravating. Anybody hear me up there? All right? And so you're boss. Hallelujah. And what I'm saying is, is that once again, that's not coincidence or happenstance. You've been put there for a reason and a season. And it's to exercise that long-suffering. And really and truly, the way the Holy Spirit works to develop long-suffering in us, we don't get to leave that exercise until we get what God wants out of us done. <laughs> Woo! You understand what I'm saying? All right, I'm just giving y'all some nuggets along the way. All right, all right. What else you got, Pastor? We're going to meet some of those anointed aggravators in church. They're going to push your buttons. How many people have people in this church that push your buttons? Come on, just raise your hand. Now y'all lying in church. Yeah, there's people in here that push our buttons. Oh, yeah, there are people in here that push my button. But I love you. And I'm operating long-suffering with you. It's all good. I'm going to admit it. You understand what I'm saying? 
And God don't let you be in their ministry. And they push your buttons. Put you on the nursery schedule perpetually. <laughs> Feel like you in Sheu. You understand what I'm saying? Well, I ever be able to go to church. <laughs> you praying like the rich man. Could you grab a cup of offering and pass it? <laughs> Dip on the tongue. Yeah, y'all know what I'm saying. You see what I'm saying? A cup of communion. Hallelujah. But so in church, we're going to have this. Hallelujah. But the Holy Ghost is telling me, keep going because you ain't hit everybody yet. Hallelujah. In our immediate family, is going to be people that test our long suffering. I talked about brothers and sisters. But what about if it's your own children that aggravate you? Work under your skin. Huh? Yeah. The ones that never leave, they, they, they just stay with you perpetually. Huh? Can't find no job, huh? Uh, they 45 and you still taking care of them. <laughs> Fixing them cereal in the morning. Well, what you like, Johnny? He ain't Johnny no more. He John. <laughs> ain't no baby no more. It just perpetually with you. Yes, and even our young children sometimes can push our buttons. Get us to a place of frustration that most people can't. You see, who is it for you today? Huh? But I'd be remiss not to mention the greatest source. Somebody say preach, Pastor. Yeah. The greatest source, the greatest test of long suffering. All right. Is most of the time found in the marital relationship. The marital regime. The covenant. You understand what I'm saying? Hallelujah. Most of the time, God will put you with a spouse that know how to call the best out of you. <laughs> to bring you to a, a higher place of praise. <laughs> Anybody hear me up in here? So the marriage relationship is wonderful in that regard. It is the best exercise that God has to exercise not only long-suffering, long but all of these fruit and the graces that God would expect out of us. In the marriage ministry, and we're about to get that going when we do our discipleship training on Sunday mornings, eh, God? Hallelujah. You won't have to wait once a month. We'll have something for marriages almost every week. Anybody hear me up in here? Hallelujah. But in the marital regime, as it's called in Louisiana law, a God, we need to understand that marriage primarily, primarily in the mind of God is not to make us happy, but to make us holy. Anybody hear me up in here? And God is going to use our spouse, a God, the person closest to you, all right? He's going to use the person closest to you to deal with the things that he can't reach inside of you no way else, all right? And so people can go through singleness and be a perfect person. And I say that being facetious because nobody's perfect. But we can go through singleness and think that, hey, God, this Christian stuff is easy, huh? And I don't watch people get married and have to deal with themselves and their spouse and their spouse being anointed to push those places, hallelujah, where nobody else could get to you. Your friends can't touch you like your spouse can touch you. Huh? 
they're never going to touch you in your selfishness like your spouse going to touch you in your selfishness. They're never going to touch your stubbornness, your rebelliousness. They're never going to touch, hey God, your patience and your long suffering like your spouse is going to touch you in that area. See, because if you're single, listen to me, if a person is touching your long suffering, hey God, you go home from work, you leave school. You don't leave your spouse. You understand what I'm saying? You wake up and thou art still with me. <laughs> Anybody hear me up in here? Even mamas and daddies, listen, 18, you can blaze the trail. You count down at 12 midnight for your birthday, 10, 9. You're doing it like a New Year, day 7, 6, and you slam the door, jump out of there like you're in New York. Happy New Year! You're out of there. But marriage don't work like that. There's a certain stipulation in our contract that we make with the Most High that tells us through sickness and in health, for richer or poorer, through the good times and the bad. And here is one that is even more so. Tell death. Woo! Tell death, do us part. And so those promises, that covenant, it holds us in a place. In a place where God can work on us. Anybody hear me up in here? Everywhere else you can escape, but God has you in a contractual agreement, a bind, where he holds you because you don't want to displease him. And he holds you there. He holds you there so that he can get what he wants out of you. And I don't know about you, and I'm, I'm clowning you, but I thank God for marriage. Anybody hear me up in here? Because marriage has worked on me. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm, I'm most of the time a smiley person. All right? And not too many people can ruffle me. All right? Hallelujah. But me and First Lady are anointed. We're anointed in the area of getting under each other's skin at times. And it's okay because that's the way it's supposed to be. She challenges me in areas. And I challenge her in areas. And it's like two rams, a God, on National Geographic looking at each other on their hind legs. Now, bam! You know how that goes. You know, you saw that. It's all right. We both strong, but we, uh, bam. But one thing is for certain. God is going to make us holy. Anybody hear me up in here? Woo! Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the, that's the, the sanctifying process. Of marriage and, and, and when the church does not adequately teach it, we see people running from the thing made to bless them. We see people running from the thing 
the tool that is the exercise that is going to make them most like Christ. So we escape the thing. Huh? We escape the thing that is supposed to exercise our long suffering. Come on, give God some glory up in here. Amen. And I'm just using me and First Lady as an example. Amen. Hallelujah. I can pull any relationship up here. Some of y'all might look worse than the Rams. It might be. Hey! Hallelujah. I done got a grizzly or a rock wall. I ain't got any more. Listen, let's continue. But that's why James say this in James 1 and 2. He says, my brethren, he says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations and tribulations. You see? And I'm going to read it, and we're going to go back to one, but I'll go back to two. But look at three. He says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. You see? And then he says in four, we're going to go back to two in a second. He says, but let patience. Let it. Let patience have her perfect work. That you may be perfect and entire. Wanting or lacking nothing. Look at your neighbor and say, let it work. My God, my God, my God. Let's go back to verse 2. Verse 2 tells us to count it all joy. That means to rejoice. When you're in a situation and you find people to exercise your long suffering, you know, we get upset, but we should be praising God. Woo! We're looking at it wrong. We're looking at it as some type of way that these people are stopping us, hurting us, harming us. But we're looking at it merely from a mortal perspective and not an immortal perspective because these people, they're not hurting us. They're helping us. They're not hindering us. Hey, God, they are blessing us. What they working in us will get us rewards in heavens. Y'all not ready for what I'm talking about. If you knew the good that these people are going to work in your soul, you would be dancing at work instead of mourning at work, instead of wanting to bring a gun to work, a knife to work, instead of wanting to shoot somebody up, you would bring them a bouquet of flowers. You would bring them a box of chocolates, eh, God? Because God is doing something in you that only they could do. Hallelujah. They working long-suffering. So he says, count it all joy. And I'm telling you, in my life, the people who have given me the most stress, headache, aggravation, huh? When I look back, I say, God, that's what you was doing? I look back 10 years, I look back 20 years, and I say, God, the reason I have what I have today, the reason I am who I am today is because I had to go through that. When I was like, God, get me out of here. You know, now, you know, now what I say? Put me through it five times more. I wish I would have gone through it earlier. When you see the end of a thing, you know? And I'm speaking through, speaking to you through faith. 
because it's hard to see the end of a storm while you're in it. You know? But by faith, we walk by faith and not by sight. We trust God. You see? And we know that he calls it all things to work to what? Together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. So how could that family member that you have not work for good? How could that classmate you have not work for good? How can that person at work that's under your skin not work for good? How could that egg-on person that's sitting in your section rolling their eyes at you in church, how could that not work for good? Huh? How could your children huh, that, that get under your skin and you're tired, you don't feel like, how could that not work for good? How could your spouse, huh, that, that it feel like, hey, God, something is about to break, but not in a good way, but in a bad way. But how could that not work for good? If God say that all things work together for the good of those that love God and call according to to his purpose. I know it don't feel good, huh? But we trust that it's gonna work for good. Come on, give y'all some glory. He says, count it, count it all joy. When you fall into diverse temptations, when you go through difficult situations, and especially with people, he says, knowing this, not thinking it, but knowing it. See, some things that you could think, hypothesize upon, conjecture, speculate. Huh? But when God tells us we could know something, then we can count on it and we could know it. He says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith, what you've gone through, that trouble, that problem, that stressful situation, God says, know something. Know that it's only just trying your faith. It's putting your faith through a trial, a test. And that test is going to work patience long-suffering. But the problem is, is that when we are being worked on in our long-suffering, we're looking for an escape. We're always looking for a way out. As soon as trouble starts, we want to get out as soon as possible. In an exercise, hey God, you got to do what's called reps. It's not just good to do one, like when we was young, we put as much as we can on that, we, ah! Ugh, we just do one. That ain't doing nothing. It's reps that's going to get you where you want to be. Oh, y'all ain't ready for me right here. And in and, and multiple sets. Hey, God, because you're working on something. You're working on something. You're working on endurance. You see, we just want the one rep. Huh? And God is not into that. We got to let patience. We got to let patience. Huh? We got to let it. Don't get out your marriage. Let patience. Huh? Huh? Don't be so quick to get, get rid of your kids. You got to let patience. Don't be so quick to quit that job before it's time. You got to let patience. And that's another thing. When we get out of something before God wants us to be out of it, guess what? We out the will of God. We are out the will of God. Just by way of, of historical context, you know before the Exodus, there was a tribe that left Egypt before God was ready to, for them to leave? That tribe died in the wilderness. Until God is finished with you in an area, 
until he gives you the permission slip, you best not leave. You're going to find yourself out of the will of God. Come on, tell your neighbor, tell the other neighbor, let it. You see? But let patience have her perfect work. What does that perfect work mean? It means let patience have a perfecting work. Patience has a way of perfecting you. Huh? You just got to let it work. Huh? Let God perfect you by these trying people and these trying situations. Because God is going to teach you something that he can't teach you no place else. And in NIV it says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. How many people want to be mature and complete? Amen? In Christ. That's what we want to be. And that's what God wants. I have in my notes the people in your family, the people at school, the people at work, the people at church, your children, your spouse, are being used by God to make you mature and to make you perfect. When you cannot take that process, it only shows that you are immature and that you are imperfect. All right? The Holy Ghost will use people around you to develop your long-suffering. In concluding this particular point, God began to speak to me. We all want the testimony, but we don't want the test. We all want the crown, but ain't nobody want the cross. Huh? We all want the greatness, but none of us want the trials that actually make people great. You see? See, Joseph had to be developed before he became the prince of Egypt, the second in command, rather, in Egypt. How was Joseph developed? In his family, with his brothers and his sisters who hated his guts, couldn't speak a kind word to him, waited for the moment to betray him, and then they sold him into slavery? How was he developed in Potiphar's house? When Potiphar's wife was checking him out, huh? And when he wouldn't lie with her, she sold him out, betrayed him, and put him in that prison. How was he developed when he was in that prison? And when the baker and the butler, he revealed the dream unto them, a God, and the butler forgot about Joseph. He was developed by going through difficult situations with people. And by the time he got to the place of rulership, he was ready. God is making you ready with the people around you. What about David? You think that David, after he was anointed by Samuel, they just put him up on the throne? Uh-uh. It was some development that needed to take place. What development was that? Going through a rough family that didn't invite him to the anointing party. Looking at a big brother in Eliab who was condescending to him, spoke roughly to him, telling him that he was proud, huh? When Eliab was the one that was really jealous. Working in Saul's palace, where Saul was envious of David as he was playing on the harp, threw a spear at David, tried to kill David. Huh? How was David developed when David came back from slaying Goliath, the women singing, Saul had slain his thousands, David his ten thousands, and that Saul go chasing David around the countryside. But what was God doing to David? Developing David and developing his long-suffering. 
And that development in the toughest places in his life would give him what he needed in the toughest moments in his life. You see? In the military, they put you through something called boot camp. Huh? And ain't nobody like boot camp. Huh? Where Brother Steve at? I think Brother Steve and some of them up in there. Hallelujah. They know what boot camp was. Didn't you actually train them in boot camp, Brother Steve, at some point? Yeah. And so listen to me. They put you through that. They put you through that so that when you're on the battlefield, huh, certain things going to become habit, certain things going to become reflexes, certain commands you're going to follow without question, huh? They put you through the toughest moment in your life so that in the toughest moment of your life, your training going to come out. All right? All right? So it is with these graces that God wants out of us. He puts us in tough situations. Because providentially, he sees on the horizon, past the horizon, the things that you're going to need in your life 10, 20 years down the road. And he puts you to, through things to prepare you for that time. Listen, not only is the time, the event, the moment prepared for the man or the woman, but the man or the woman is being prepared for the moment or the event. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and tell him, I'm in preparation for my big event. Come on, give God some glory, amen? <laughs> All right, let's get to it. Point number two, we gotta move, y'all. Hallelujah, we gonna get through it. This was the heavy point. He will put us near people to test our long-suffering. Secondly, the Holy Spirit to develop long-suffering in us. He will convict us when we fall. He will convict us of our short tempers. Yes, the Holy Spirit will not only orchestrate situations to test or exercise our patience, but when we blow it, he will convict us. Pastor, where you get that from? Well, John 16 and 7, Jesus is talking about the job of the Holy Ghost. Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away, that he die on the cross, be buried, resurrect, and ascend into glory. He says, it's expedient, it's necessary, it's needful that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. You see, the Trinity was playing, hallelujah, a uh, 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 wrestling where, where, where one man can't get in unless he tagged by the other one. You understand what I'm saying? And so, hallelujah, the Father sent the Son, but while the Son was working, the Holy Spirit was on hold. Hallelujah. But the Holy Spirit was waiting on Jesus to get back to heaven to tag him so he can come in. So Jesus says, it's expedient that I go, because if I don't go, the comforter, the Holy Spirit is not going to go, because he ain't going to come back until I tag him. Anybody hear me up in here? We know that Jesus really ascended on high, that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. How do we know that? Because the Holy Ghost is here. <laughs> Anybody hear me up in here? All right, that's a faith thing. Hallelujah. He says, but if I depart, I will send him, send him unto you. And when he is come, watch this, his job, he will reprove the world of what? Sin, of righteousness, and of the judgment which is to come. One of the jobs of the Holy Ghost is to reprove the world and everybody in the world of sin, to convict. He does this before we are saved, and that conviction 
leads us to the cross. It leads us to the gospel. We figure out, we understand through the illuminating presence of the Holy Ghost that we are in sin and we need a remedy for our sin. And that remedy can only be found in the cross of Christ, in Yahshua HaMashiach, in the gospel. He had made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And how do we do that? We admit to God that we're sinners. We believe in the cross of Calvary, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And then after that, we confess him as our personal Lord and Savior. And the Bible says, whosoever calls upon the Lord will be what? Shall be what? Saved. And that's how it happens. We believe our way into salvation. But that work starts with the Holy Ghost convicting us. But if you think for one second that the Holy Ghost convicts us before salvation, comes and lives, lives on the inside of us, hallelujah, and walks with us, huh? If you think he convicted us before we were saved, after he's on the inside, that's when the conviction really starts. All right? That's when the conviction really starts. And the Bible describes that convicting with a word in Ephesians 4.30. It talks about grieving the Holy Ghost. Right? And the Bible says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. When we do wrong, when we sin, the conviction that the Holy Ghost gives us is called grieving. We grieve the Holy Spirit. And those that are spiritual can feel the sadness of the Holy Ghost and can feel that it's our actions that made him sad. We can feel it. All right? All right? The NIV says, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. We make him sorry. And we got people talking about I'm filled with the Holy Ghost, but they, they live a life of grieving the Holy Ghost. And when the Holy Ghost is grieved, he withdraws some of his ministry from our life. We can't pray like we used to. We can't preach like we used to. You know? It's like Samson where our strength in the spiritual is gone. He suspends his ministry. He don't leave us. We seal it until the day of redemption. But he suspends some of his ministry. You see what I'm saying? All right? And 431 is going to tell us how we grieve the Holy Spirit. Bitterness. Huh? Unfor being unforgiven? Bitterness. That grieves the Holy Ghost. Look at this. Wrath. What's that? That's a temper tantrum. Losing our temper. Just, ah, I want to punch something, flip something, break something. Tell somebody off. The Holy Ghost is not happy with that. That grieves him. That makes him sorry when he sees us act like that. And then got to be inside of us, participating with it while we wilding out. You know, you ever been somewhere with a friend that wild out, how embarrassed you are? You're like, oh my goodness. You're like that commercial, want to get away. You like kind of, you kind of slide off and you're like, I'm really not with them. You understand what I'm saying? So imagine God inside of us while we're flipping out. Imagine him inside of us. The God of all creation who's just forgiven the world of sin. And we can't forgive somebody for some cold chicken. And we're flipping out. 
We are flipping out, just cutting up. All right? And the Holy Ghost is grieved by that. Sorry by that. And he backs away. He backs away. You see? He does that because of bitterness, wrath, anger. Huh? There's a word clamor here, which is harsh words or even fighting. Evil speaking, when we gossip and slander, it makes the Holy Ghost sorrowful. Huh? But what blesses the Holy Ghost and makes him happy? It says it here, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake had forgiven you. That's Ephesians 4.32. Come on, give God some glory up in here. That's what puts a smile on the Holy Spirit's face. Not when we tell somebody off. It might put a smile on your mama face, your daddy face, because that's the way they act. But it don't put a smile on the Holy Ghost face when you go off on somebody. What brings the Holy Ghost joy, hallelujah, is when you have the right, the capacity, even the wit to tell them off, even the skill to knock them out, and you show restraint and long-suffering, and you turn the other cheek, the Holy Ghost throws a Holy Ghost party on the inside of you, hey God, because the Holy Ghost says, my God, now you're acting like me. Now you're acting like God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. He will convict us. He will convict us. Huh? A short-tempered life brings sorrow to the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And he will let us know when we do that. All right. Hallelujah. So when we blow up on family, at school, at work, at church, on our children, when we blow up on our spouses, God is going to check us. He's going to convict us. Huh? He's going to do it, y'all. He's going to do it. He did it to Jonah when Jonah was upset. <laughs> and, then, and in the book of Jonah, hey, God, I might even have that someplace else. He, he, he tells Jonah, he, he, the spirit whispers to Jonah, doest thou right to be angry? You're going to feel that. Holy Ghost going to say, why are you mad? And you think you're right by being mad like that? You think this is what I want from you? To be upset like that? So he's going to convict us in that fashion. Our job is to listen when we get that conviction. Our job is when we get that conviction, huh, to repent. All right? What is Repentance. To say we sorry. We first say we sorry to God. God, I'm sorry for blowing up. I did it again. I'm sorry. I blew it, God. I, you know I don't want to act like that. You know I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to win people to you, not run people away from you. So, so we apologize to God because a lot of times we're going to get to the next point. The name of God is blasphemed among the heathen because of us. Who can't control our tempers. Yeah. 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 The world talks about Christians who can't control their temper. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially if you got a worldling who don't have that natural disposition. You got some unsaved people who they don't have a temper problem. They just, they unsaved, but they just kind of cool, calm, mannered, huh? And that's their claim to fame. 
But you as a Christian, you struggle in this area. All right, you got all the other areas better than them, but this one area is your area. And when the world see you just go off in that one area, now listen, you don't steal, you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't cheat, you're faithful to your spouse, huh? you do all the right things, huh? but in this one area, and what the devil does and what the world do, hey God, the devil is called the accuser of brethren, huh? the adversary. Huh? They're going to watch you blow up and the devil going to try to put as many people out there as he can. In fact, somebody going to be there that's going to go live while you cutting up. You don't turn green. You hulking, hulk smash. You grabbing stuff, bam, flipping cars, John. I know you can flip a car, John. You flipping cars out there, tearing off hoods and stuff. All because they didn't cook what you wanted at home. Or they put the toilet paper roll, the, the, the loose end wasn't on top, it was at the bottom. Or, or somebody didn't close the top on the toothpaste. Or, or they left their clothes on the floor. Oh! Oh! Oh, can't stand clothes on floor. Hulk smash! <laughs> and so everything just blow up, man. And you just get and it, and it just it snowballs, it's avalanches, and now it's like you was mad at this little thing, but something else happened. Now you're mad, and it's like, oh God. And somebody going live. Yo, that's a deacon at Philadelphia, y'all, and he is just going bananas. Look at minister such and such. Oh, he has the cop on his back. <laughs> you know? The enemy is going to blast it in your one area. And in that one area, we make God look bad. You see? Do as thou will to be angry. So when the Holy Ghost convicts us of that anger, as we feel it coming on us, the Holy Ghost is going to tell us, you're getting a little too upset for that. All right? All right, just put the toothpaste cap down. Put it down. Step away. Step away from the toothpaste. Easy, easy. You see? But we got to listen to the Holy Ghost. Listen, one of the Bible commentators says this, the more a person suppresses the voice of the Holy Spirit, the harder it is for the Spirit of God to speak to them about their sin. If this continues, the conscience will become like a callus on a hand. It will not feel anything anymore. It's going to be important as the Spirit convicts you of your temper not to suppress the voice of the Holy Ghost, not to make excuses, not to say my mama was like this and my daddy was like this, not to say I was born this way, because God don't care how you was born. God tells us to be born again. Hey, God, and that's what we got to do. I understand you was born, you was raised. I understand all of that. 
But the same way you would tell the drunk who grew up in a drunk home, who grew up, his mama was drunk when, he, when she had him, and, it, and he just, he, he grew up in a bottle of whiskey. You understand what I'm saying? But, but we in church, we come out here and we tell the drunk, be born again, be saved. God can deliver you. You could be free from this sin. But why don't we do that with the person with the temple problem? We do it with the homosexual. We say, man, he, he say, man, I was, I was molested as a child. I was, they messed with me, and, I, and now I'm stuck in this. I was raised in this. My uncle was this way. My, my, my aunt was that way. They were raised in it. They were raised in it. But we tell them in the church, we understand how you was born. We understand how you was raised. But God commands all sinners to be born again. You see? But why are we going to play the double standard? Why are we not going to do that with our temper? Why are we not going to do that with anger? Why are we going to quickly say, I, I just got a short fuse, that's how I am? You know? It's a double standard, man, and God not having that double standard. If you persist on being angry when the Holy Ghost is trying to tell you, calm down. If you persist in uh, 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 fighting against the development of long suffering in your life, sooner or later, the Holy Spirit going to stop talking to you in that area. And you think everything is fine, you think everything is good, but what has happened is you have a seared conscience. You have a callous heart. And when you blow up, you don't even feel wrong no more. You don't even feel like nothing is wrong. You just blew up. Everybody looking at you and saying, you're an idiot, you're a fool. And you thinking that you're in the will of God. You describe it as righteous indignation. But God calls it a temper tantrum. And it's sin. The Bible commentator says, by tuning out the Spirit of God, we are making it harder each time for the Spirit of God to speak to us. In time, the conscience will be so seared that we cannot even hear the Spirit anymore. And that will surely bring disaster. You see, that's a quote from What is a Seared Conscience by Jack Wellman. I wonder how many of us have been having a problem hearing God. I wonder if your problem hearing God is because God's saying, hey, God, why should I talk to you when you won't listen? You see? I wonder how many need to repent of a callous heart, of a seared conscience. How many Christians, when God was trying to stop you from blowing up and losing your temper, you just gave the Holy Ghost the stiff arm, the Heisman, and say, Holy Spirit, I'm going to be back. We're going to talk after I deal with this. You see? You see? That's not what God have us to do. Come on, give y'all some glory. Amen. I'm going to kind of conclude with this point three as my minutes wane. Amen. He will remind us of how God long suffered with us. And it's a good conclusion because I kind of mentioned it last time, if you remember. But I'd be remiss not to talk about it right now because... As the Holy Ghost develops long-suffering in us, he's going to put us in situations around people to exercise that long-suffering. When we blow it, a God, he's going to convict us, all right? And in that conviction process, he's going to remind us of how God has treated us and loved us and long-suffered with us. You see? You see? And a, and a certain scripture in Matthew came to my mind. Amen. I may need a little, 
a little keys. Where the musicians at? If y'all could make y'all way up. Hey, God, I may need a little keys up on here. Hallelujah. And we may be a little while, but I just, I need y'all help right now. Hey, God. Hey, God. God brought me to Matthew 18 to remind us about his long-suffering to us. Appreciate you, my brother. It's the parable of the unforgiving servant. It's one that when you really read it, boy, ah, it hits you right in the heart, boy. It hits you in the gut. You're like, oh, God. And before this parable happened, Peter had asked the Lord a question. <laughs> he said, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? How often should I be long-suffering and just allow them to do me wrong? Now, I don't know what happened, Miss Margaret, but one of them boys must have did Peter wrong. Probably was Judas. You know Judas. But that's all just speculation. But somebody did Peter wrong, Miss Rebecca. Told him something, did something. And Peter come to Jesus, Peter said, Lord, how many times I got to forgive that dude? Seven times? And Peter thought he was being spiritual because seven is the perfect number of God. Huh? And Jesus looked at Peter and he said, Peter, I say unto thee, say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. All right? So Peter was doing his little math. Huh? He said, 70. Okay, I bring my zero down, put my nine. You know what I'm saying? He said, Lord, I got to forget that ball 490 times. That's some of y'all thinking. But when Jesus says 70 times 7, he's not talking about a specific number. He's just giving an infinite example. He means keep forgiving people. Don't ever hold bitterness in your heart. Don't ever, don't ever uh, not release a person. Release them. You see? And some people only release people that say they sorry. And that's okay. That's a bit religious. You see? I'm only releasing them if they come and tell me that they sorry. And the problem is, is that sometimes people don't ever come back and say they are sorry. So that means that I got to hold on to that until you get right? No, 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 I'm not going to do that. You're not worth that. I'm going to release you whether you say you're sorry or not. A God forgiven. 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 Now, forgiven don't mean that everything is going to be like the way it was. Because sometimes you could be in a relationship with somebody and they do you wrong and they keep doing you wrong. A God. And it becomes bad for your spiritual walk. How many people know you can forgive but move on? Anybody hear me up in here? And that's, that's sometimes what you have to do. It means I'm not holding a grudge, but I can't be by you because, hey, God, it just, you know, yeah, I done got all that I need to get from you. And it's about to turn into something else. You see what I'm saying? So that's the wisdom of God. If you have particular questions, you can approach me and talk to me about that but but in 1823 
Jesus begins with a parable. He said, therefore, is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. I'm going to keep reading. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. See, the king, Brother Forrest, had gave money out to his servants. And he was like, what y'all done did with the money I gave y'all? And one of them owed him 10,000 talents. That 10,000 talents, let's just say is $10 million. $10 million. But for as much as he had not to pay, he couldn't pay it, y'all. His Lord commanded him to be sold, his wife, his children, and all that he had, that payment might be made. Now, now, this is the gospel right here, if you don't know it, because God is the king. And we all owe him. And we didn't owe him money, but we had a sin debt. Because the wages of sin is death, a eh, God, and, and we owed God punishment. Mm. And we had not enough to pay God. But right when this king was about to deal with his servant, look at 26, the servant fell down and worshipped him and saying, Lord, watch this, have what, Lynn? Have patience with me and I will pay thee all. This servant was wise enough to ask for mercy and more particularly, he asked for long suffering. He said, be patient with me. You see? And that's like us. We owe our God because of our sins, but when we come to him, the Bible tells us clearly, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When we seek his mercy, he gonna give it to us. That's the beauty of the gospel. You understand what I'm saying? And this is the gospel in parable form. Even before Jesus died and went to the cross, he's telling us that the king would forgive us. You see, look at 27. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, loosed him and forgave him the debt. Come on, give God some glory. That's us. That's us. He loosed us and forgave us the debt. My God is a good God. That's not the end of the story though. Montgomery, look what he did. Mr. Trinessa, look what he did. But the same servant, not a different one, the same servant. And I said to myself, wow. You know, if I was just in the room with somebody that had been forgiven $10 million, that being in the room would have changed me, Derek. I would have left that feeling like I just watched Oprah. I would have left feeling good, like I want to do something good for somebody. And I'm just joking about Oprah, but I'm just saying. You in the presence of somebody, I would have went out and forgave somebody else that owed me $5, $10. Hey man, what's come over you? Well, I just saw the king forgive $10 million. Just being in the room would have changed. The Bible says, but the same, sir, the one who was forgiven the $10 million, went out and found one of his fellow servants, meaning track him down, Kip, found him, which owed, owed him a hundred pence. A hundred pennies, John. 
They done forgave him 10 million and he found somebody that owed him a dollar. And he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat. Now, he owed the king 10 million. We never hear the king grabbing him by the throat. He was harder on the man that owed him a dollar than the king was when he owed them 10 million. He took him by the throat saying, pay me that thou owest me. You see? Bible continues, and his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him saying, have what? Patience with me. The same phrase, Sabrina. Seemed like conviction would have set in like, oh, I just heard myself say the same thing. Have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Look what he does. And he would not. But went in and cast him into prison till he should pay the $1 debt. Over $1. Dog, you tripping. Go to 31. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Other servants went tell the king what he did. Then his Lord, after that, he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant. Now that, that's deep. So when somebody has been long-suffering to you and you don't show that same long-suffering, that's wickedness. When someone has forgiven you and you can't forgive another person, that is wickedness. The king says, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me, 11 million, 10 million. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? You see, do we have another verse? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. Isn't that a wonderful story, y'all? Huh? Huh? We've been forgiven. God has shown us great long-suffering. If we don't do the same to others, it's wickedness. And we put ourselves in danger of the chastening hand of Almighty God upon our lives. Listen, my time is up. Amen. I done kept you too long already. And no, we're not having a town hall after this, but I'm working on my time trying to get y'all out of here. All right. Ushers, if y'all can open up the gates, amen, we're going to talk a little bit, and then we're going to get out. The altar's going to be open for those who want to be saved in this place. You're here, and you don't know whether you're saved or not. But the altar's also going to be open for Christians, believers, Hebrews who have accepted Yahshua HaMashiach. In some way or another, you haven't released people. You have been hard on people. You have an area in your life, this, this temperament area, this, this, this anger issue. And 
you see yourself in this unforgiving servant, you have been prone to treat people harsher than God has treated you. We're going to give you an opportunity, along with those who need the gospel, to come to this altar and ask God for forgiveness. And, and right now, I just feel in my spirit that when Christians repent of a lack of long-suffering, that plugs, plugs in their ears are going to be open because the Holy Spirit has been, hallelujah, being silent in some of our lives. He hasn't been talking like he usually talks. He hasn't been given vision, given revelation. Hey God, it's because we have not been listening to him. We've been being too harsh to the people around us, sent to help us, to grow us, to bless us in long suffering. So I'm going to get out your way, but this altar is open and we need, we need couples up here. We need mamas and daddies up here. We need hey, fathers and sons up here. We need co-workers up here. We need church members up here. We've all been stretching each other so thin in long suffering and we have not. We have not been doing well at this test. Hey God, we have not been doing well. Here's our time to come and get it right with our God. The altar is open. Come, come, come. Let's talk to our God. Hey! Come on, somebody. Woo! Come on, somebody. That long suffering. That long suffering. That's what God wants. Hey! Thank you! Come on, somebody. Hey, that long suffering. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're not harboring nothing. Nothing in our hearts. Hallelujah. 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 We're not mad at nobody. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Woo! How can we not forgive when we have been forgiven so much, so much? Hey, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Glory, glory, glory. Hallelujah. Let's go back to it. Hey! Come on, somebody. some people and release some things God just don't want that in your heart it's going to spoil your anointing it's going to hinder the grace of God in your life 
We're going for clean hearts at this altar this morning. Clean hearts at this altar this morning. Tabla rasa, a clean slate. Ooh. So right now we're going to pray. And I want you to be thinking about mamas and, and daddies and sisters and brothers. I want you to be thinking about, about children, co-workers and classmates. Hey God, I want you to go back to high school and middle school. I want you to clean your heart of every single person. Hey God, that's who you had ought with because sometimes these things can travel with you. Hey, sometimes they can stay with you. Hey God, and that boss stole your pencil in middle school and when you see him in Walmart to this day, you got all in your heart. We're going to release that at this altar. We're going to long suffer with people. As God has long suffered with us. And so here we go. Here we go. Say Abba. Most high God. Thank you. For forgiving. All that debt. I believe. You died on the cross. You were buried in the grave and you rose the third day. Save me, wash me, cleanse me, and fill me with the Holy Spirit. Produce long suffering in my life. Help my temper. Strengthen me. In this area. I take my anger. And put it on the cross. <laughs> Come on, you got to see it. See it. See a piece of board with anger written on it. And take that board and, and put it on the cross right now. Crucify that anger on the cross. Crucify that temper. And take another board, another placard, and write unforgiveness. See that on that. <laughs> and put that on the cross. Crucify that that unforgiveness. Take one more and write bitterness on it. And put that on the cross right there. Because we dying to bitterness today. We are dying to anger today. We are dying to unforgiveness today. We're not carrying that. We're not carrying that no longer, no longer, no longer, no longer. No longer. We're forgiving spouses and, and parents and everybody else. We're just releasing them. Say, Lord, Lord fill, me fill me with long suffering. Long suffering. And bless me, bless me to be free, to be free. Of, all of all bitterness, of all hurt, of all, hurt, of all harm. Right now, 
I bless my enemies. I speak love over them. Peace over them. Joy over them. Help them to find you. An abundant life. I release them to you right now. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Come on, give y'all some glory. Something happened this morning. Something happened this morning.